We can all get better. Well, with, well, with few exceptions, right? Exactly. <laughs> you and I have that. been, we're like an old married couple, you know that? We both like poking each other sometimes <laughs> at the same time. It's funny. Welcome to the Medicast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Barely. <laughs> you struggled to get that out of you. I know. Right? I was I was almost la- I was laughing. <laughs> I, I, I can't look at Medicasters. I can't look at his face today. I don't know why he's making me laugh. <laughs> and I don't know why. So he's Josh is jovial today. Why are you so jovial? It's Friday, Bob. Is that? Oh, and it's before a long weekend. Long weekend. Family coming, coming down. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, burgers, my, barbecue. My daughter turns twelve tomorrow. Oh, how so? Daughter turn. That's a that's a milestone age. Mm-hmm. Brats, burgers. Absolutely. Yeah, beer. Uh, yeah. Oh my God! It's yeah. it's like one of those weekends. So it no is. wonder you're like all perky today. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm just generally happy. Yeah. I'm always happy. Well, it's the start of the Medicast, so you're I'm, always fired up. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always fired up and for that. And then soon you'll turn into And then I'll turn jazz into smooth Bob. jazz Bob. You know, Josh, in thinking about this. And I've been thinking about this. I've been pondering this for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, what, what's the topic today, Josh? The uh, topic is self-organizing teams. Screw that. We don't need any self-organizing teams. Right, what do you done. mean? We have, we have teams. We throw the freaking teams together. We give them T-shirts with the same name on it. Okay. Right? I like that. Like Team, team A. Mm-hmm. And, and then say, be a team. And then you get a team. Can we at least call if them it was the good A-team? enough, it was, we could call them the Team A. We could call them the A-team. Right? If it's good enough for like Little League, that's what they do in Little League. They, yeah, you're right. right. Right? Everybody gets a hat and a shirt. Everyone gets a hat and a shirt. And everyone gets a prize for being like number one team. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. That's the way. No. All right. Maybe not. So self-directed. So aspects of self-direction and then coaching towards that. Right. How do you coach, how do you coach teams towards getting self direction? Yeah, I think there will be two areas there of somebody that's on their way and somebody that's not on their way okay. and how you help them. Okay. So what are aspects of a self-directed team? So I, I would say, I'll, I'll tee it off, uh, accountability. Teams are sort of accountable for their own results, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that means. It means they're sort of vested in it themselves. No one has to hover around them telling them what to do or sort of directing them. They So it's, so it's results, but also the plan. Okay, well, you're adding in the nuance of a plan. So they, right. they plan, so teams are self-planning. Mm-hmm. So they they plan, uh, they decide who does, who does the work. Mm-hmm. So instead of, I used to, I remember years ago, what was it? Um, I was working at a company and uh, the manager there, and then they made me a manager and they expect me to do the same thing. Before a project, you would get Microsoft Project up and you would put a Gantt chart, mm-hmm. and you'd have people's mm-hmm. names on mm-hmm. the left, mm-hmm. and literally the managers would decide what the tasks were and how long they were going to take. And you'd come in in the morning for, at the beginning of a project, and there'd be this little printout of a Microsoft Gantt chart on your chair, and that would be that would be your, your assignments. You with me? And you had no that that was so uh, yep. all of the thinking was done for you. 
And I used to, I, I mean, I, and I would sit on these things, literally. Yeah. So I, <laughs> the chair was a good place for them. <laughs> so, so, but th- these things were there. Yeah. And I, I, I would just shake my head. I would just be so. It would take. It would take the freaking wind out of my sails. And and that was serious. So that's someone assigning you the work and deciding who's good at what, what they're not good at, how to attack it, how long it's going to take, how long it's going to take, what they need to do in what order. Yeah, yeah. My, I, I I lost hairs on my head and days of my life, and it's what drove me to agile. Was I had a boss who managed projects that same way. No. And every Friday afternoon, we would sit down and update the Gantt chart Ugh. with where things were. And it was like a two or three hour process. No way. Every, uh. after, every Friday afternoon. So it was the opposite of my feeling today. Yeah. I dreaded every Friday afternoon. Absolutely. Because it was juggling this giant Gantt chart. And then when anything was slightly off, because it's hard and it's software and there's change there was that language of we're off we're off track right what are we going to do how are we going to reallocate and and that shocked look oh my god we're off track what are you going to do about it well i didn't have anything to say about the plan to begin with and i would never say that right (laughs) you moron but that's so what we're we're describing the antithesis of self-directed team from a planning point of view from a estimation point of view from an execution point of view and from a results and an ownership point of view. So it does interleave with that, right? How can you have ownership mm-hmm. and, and accountability if you weren't part of the sort of the planning and, and the strategy and stuff? So that's right. an inherent part. So that's a big part of it. Uh, what else? Self-directed teams. I'm a big fan of self-policing. Ooh, that sounds – you had me. See, I was smiling earlier now. Policing? So we've talked about this a little bit in coaching folks that are struggling, and I actually want to see the team try and make the correction themselves oh. before it gets to the manager. Oh, I would actually say this is an above – oh, now I'm with you. This is an above the bar. Uh, so to me, this would be an indicator of a more mature mm-hmm. self-directed team where they're self-facilitating, let's say. Right. They're self-leading. So if someone isn't holding up their part of the bargain, mm-hmm. the team sort of – take you know holds them corrects that and it doesn't mean they eject them or vote them off the island or something like that as extreme as that but they they work with that team member they they talk to them early they are willing and capable to have the difficult discussion yeah when it needs to happen not waiting some number yeah exactly or they would ask them if they need help right or the team member asks for help right right or they you know the team member says i don't know i thought i knew how to do this and i don't know i need some help so those kinds of conversations are happening. I, I okay. So that's that's a part of that is their self policing. I've even seen it in stand ups. I know this is a little. This is not as big and powerful as what you said mm-hmm. just now, but it makes me uh, sort of almost tear up in a stand up when someone tells someone else to shut up. Mm-hmm. I know as a scrum master right. that the team is maturing a bit when they just and they they don't do it out of malice or anything like that it's not personalities usually it's a quiet it's very often i get it's someone who doesn't usually do it the quiet person and they come out of their role because they know someone's rambling and i'm just usually i'm as a scrum master i'm just about ready to say could we take that offline and then someone else comes in right a team member and it's like so so it's self-policing at a major level but even self-policing at a minor level like someone reminding someone, did you uh, uh, you forgot that part of definition of done, mm-hmm. right? 
you, we need to do that. And, right. and, and they remind the team of what good quality looks like or team members. Have we covered it? I don't. So I think one thing you touched on is that they can, and I know it says self-directing, but they can run on their own, that they don't need the scrum master hovering. They don't need the architect hovering. They don't need this hovering support. And what I look for and what I always challenge all of my leaders and whatever flavor they're, they're, they're in is that will the team be successful without you there? Can you walk away? Can you go to a new role? And is that true of every member of that team? that maybe there's an opportunity for growth and one of their more senior people decides to leave, will that team crumble or will they be just fine? And they bring in somebody new and their self-correcting, self-policing nature gets them up to this is how we run, this is how we operate, these are the team norms, and we just keep running. Yeah. So that's that. That's the acceptance criteria for me of you know you've done it when changes like that can happen. Well, you're putting yourself, that's that notion of putting yourself – out of a job, I, I mean, I've literally weaned, you know, let's, let's take the stand-up as an example. As a scrum master, when I see everyone making eye contact with me, sometimes I'll do weird things like I'll hide behind people yep. so that they make <clears throat> eye contact with the team yep. so the team gets it. Or I'll skip a stand-up and ask someone else to take over for me. I feigned sickness on more than one occasion and called in sick, but my intention was to wean the team from me and to see how well they were self-directed, how well they were autonomous, mm-hmm. right? And so, so sometimes having the, the coach there is is sort of the worst thing. The more time you can, you know, maybe when the team's in the beginning stages, you want to be around, but you want to start giving them voids, I think, or giving them gaps mm-hmm. where you're not there. They have to fend for themselves, right? right? So that's part of that self-direction. Uh, maybe there's, maybe it's, can I bring up multiple teams? So I just happen to be coaching a release train engineer today mm-hmm. and uh, so safe RTEs and uh, I think of an RTE at least in this case as being a meta scrum master or a senior scrum master and he was a scrum master of like eight so a, a release train engineer of eight eight teams mm-hmm. or something like that and uh, we were talking about he, he set up a series of meetings so scrum of scrums and lots and lots of meetings uh, almost every day there's a team meeting. There's a cross-team lead meeting. There's a cross-team planning meeting. Right. There's a scrum of scrums meeting. Uh, and they're all formal. And he's he's driving all of those. And the conversation I was trying to have is stop doing – not stop doing that, but can you uh, – I worry – that it should be the it should be the individual scrum master. So each one of those teams has a product owner and a scrum master. Each one of those teams has a coach. Is it like are you are you encouraging the people below you to behave as a team? So self directed teams that so we often think of a scrum team, mm-hmm. but I think it could be a self directed team of teams, mm-hmm. like a scrum of scrums team. Uh, are they self directed, or it could be a, a global organization? You and your peers are they self directed, right? Are you self directed? So. I wouldn't. I wouldn't isolate it to just team level. Mm-hmm. And I was. And but it was the same. I, I kept using the analogy of. I, I would go in my coaching. I went to the team level, but like I and I think I may have gotten his attention with this, because you're trying to communicate. And I said, what What would you do if team members were planning, uh, as a scrum master, if if team members were like planning each one of their interactions in excruciating detail or if, right. if no no or if one of your scrum masters was planning team member interactions on a daily basis in a spreadsheet and the reaction was well that's pretty darn 
not that's not very good, is right. it? Then you held up a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and and again, I wasn't. I'm not presumptuous enough to. I'm not saying all of that. Those meetings or those topics were, you know, stupid. They were probably required. But where are they being generated from? Is it coming from the team, right? Or is it so? Is it being structured for the team? And I said, I, I said, my goal would be, I want you, what would happen, another analogy was, what would happen if you left for two weeks, yeah. right? Would, would, would this stuff, because you want this stuff, I suspect it would, it would poop out mm-hmm. because you're driving it. But you want it to be, you want the team to take ownership of that. It's not the schedule, it's not you. The team should have that accountability, right? And I think that's the first piece of that coaching is everybody always does the anti-pattern for self-directed teams with the best intentions. They think they're doing the right thing. They're trying to do the right thing. And it's usually based on some traditional waterfall hierarchical approach that they were just taught when they grew up. It's like, okay, there's a problem. I'm going to solve it. And to solve it, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to plan this, 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 and this. And when that actually has counterproductive results to what you're trying to get to, because then everybody becomes dependent on you. So that that's the biggest problem is getting leaders comfortable with not having all of the answers well, doing, all of the time. And doing less right right doing it's the comfort with doing less like less is more and solving and, and having the team solve and it's almost counterintuitive the better you are as a leader the more the more experienced you are the harder it is i think to pull yourself away from that mm-hmm. like this were really trained engineers incredibly experienced right and they're doing a great job i mean they're doing they're doing it they're not incompetent. They're doing a wonderful job. I think the key thing is they haven't made this switch to coach the teams, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying, or to really put the self-directed teams first. Yeah. That's that's a hard nuance. And, and, and even when you're there, and we're really good at this here, but we still struggle with there's real value and real experience that I bring to the table and the directors that I've hired and the architects that I've hired of – how do we get them to influence the team Correct. without having it come from those folks? Because what I said to my folks is, I don't want to put your experience on a shelf. We hired you because you're really, really good. And we want that experience and knowledge and skill to affect the teams positively. But it's hard to do that without just dropping it on them saying, this is the answer. So we're always struggling with... How do we influence? And to me, that's the difference that you have to start thinking is how do I influence them, give them the information, share my knowledge and experience, but not tell them how to do it? Exactly. I, I mean, you were asking me before the Metacast, and I, 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 taught a, I taught a two-day class here on product ownership. Mm-hmm. And one of the people in the class um, was really pushing on uh, wanting to tell the team. And he had a real issue with, um, and, and this is not, I'm not telling behind his back or anything like that. I mean, this was clearly evident. But he, he felt like Agile was not conducive to uh, sharing expertise. It wasn't listening. It wasn't a listening. It was team-centric. And then if anyone else had an opinion outside of that, they couldn't communicate it or they couldn't, you know, they couldn't share it. Right. It was the team. And then if there's another good idea, you know, the team will ignore it. And I was like, no, there's this, but we were, we, for two days, we were dancing around this line of share your opinion, influence the team, 
But I think what he was stuck in, he wanted to tell the team mm-hmm. what to do. Right. He, he, you know, his view was, I, I have wonderful experience, and I know, mm-hmm. right? And 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 I know what to do. So damn it, do <laughs> do do what I'm telling you to do. Right. And and there's that line between you have wonderful experience, and I celebrate your experience. I tried to, I brought myself up. I'm like, I have, I don't share it very often. But I, I, and it's old. It's old developer experience. But I have, right. I have development chops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I will influence. I will ask questions. But I won't tell. Even when I know every, when every ounce. It's not that I know. That's the wrong way to say it. When every ounce of my being says that a team is <laughs> is really making a bad decision, mm-hmm. I will allow it to emerge. And very often I'm wrong. Right, and 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 then right. very often I'm right. Right, but allow the teams to make that decision. So what we were we were talking about self direction. I don't know whether he got it or not, and it was it was a product owner role. But mm-hmm. even even in that product owner role, uh, it's not just a scrum master role or a leadership role. I think product owners have to create the autonomy, share your experience, share your concerns. But at the end of the day, it's up to the team, right? Right, and you can influence, but you can't dictate. Right. Or you can, but then you, you know, you, I joke, you take the spirit away from the team. Right. You, you, take, you take their spirit away. And it gets even harder. So I, Richard does a really good job of keeping me in line because I try and ask those questions. And there's times when I slip up and I get excited about something and I say something. And I said, Richard, I wasn't telling them to do it. And he's like, okay, but your role as the boss of the boss of the boss here, they hear that and like, well, Josh says we should do that. We should probably do see, that. See, right? and so that's, that's that. That's even role. Right. So when you're coaching, you have to be role cognizant. Right. You're absolutely right. I and, mean, you've and, heard me tell the Mary Thorne story that she was a product owner of an automation program mm-hmm. at iContact, and we we agreed we agreed that she was the right person to start, but then we agreed that we needed to get her out of the role mm-hmm. uh, because the team was just. Mary's a good manager, good leader, good agilist, good architect for automation. So she was good, good, good. But from an from an autonomous, self-directed team right. perspective, bad. Yeah. And the team was just blindly taking everything she said, no matter how she counted. It didn't matter. Right. She could put just ideas. She could put balloons around yeah. it. She could bring in a clown. It did not matter. Yeah. It was Mary. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Was, yeah. And, and 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 that's been really rough for me. And you actually pointed this out to me a couple of years ago, the first time when I was struggling with retros, and you said, you have to get out of there. I know you want to believe that you're a member of the team and everybody thinks that way, but reality is they don't because you're the boss, so you need to get out of there. And when I listened to that, retros went up, we got a whole lot better. Yeah. So that that's the thing that made it click with me. And it's hard because I get excited about technology, well, that's th- and not... I know I can help, and I have value. But... Well, and your team respects your enthusiasm, right. yeah. so it's not, there's no hard lines. I mean, what if you you know were, if you didn't get excited, I you know I ding you for that, right? Right. So it's it's there's no sort of recipe. We are who we are. You've seen how perky I get about agile topics sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, but we just I think we have to walk the walk, but you have to be careful. I mean, yeah. you've established a relationship with Richard mm-hmm. that he can give you that feedback, right? And he knows it. He probably has the comfort that he can tell you to shut up in some right. way or not. Yeah. Oh, there, there, right? yeah. There's there's a couple developers that I've worked with mul- multiple times that as soon as I say something, they will turn around and give me the stink eye. Yeah. Like, oh, damn it. I did it again. Yeah. Right? But it, it's, it's – so it's a never-ending balance of trying to communicate differently 
and it's that long haul. Yeah. Right? Like you, there's no shortcut to make that happen. You can't just shove it in their brain and they get that answer. You've got to lay the foundation, ask questions. And, and to me, that's the biggest thing when I'm coaching people is what you said. Just work with questions. Everything well, you say not, is it's questions. Not, it's not even just it, – I mean, I agree with you, but it's also things like forcing collaborations. Mm-hmm. So not forcing, but but you can ask questions around, Did you did you run that by the UX team? Did you run that by the architecture? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can talk. You can share concerns, which are not questions. I'm a little concerned about the scalability and the security implications of that of that approach. Could you please check on that? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a question. That's a comment that said you're not telling them how to design it, right. but you're telling them that designing this for what security or for integrity or for performance is really really crucial. So I think I think how we what we stress is important, mm-hmm. right? Because this stuff there's multiple lenses for any software project. Right. One of the reasons you are who you are as a leader is you look through all of those lenses mm-hmm. much more frequently than the team does, I think. Mm-hmm. So all of those th- and that's part of that influence. That's that that young man, that's what I was trying to trying to communicate to that young man in the class is I like you have tremendous I I think if done well I have tremendous influence capability. I just can't come in and tell someone, you know, I, I want that house built with, you know, yellow bricks, uh, and it needs to be three centimeters high. And it, and that's that's sort of the team has to come to that, right, mm-hmm. based on the requirement. The other thing I said is if you don't like that, then you can become so, – so part of it is very often we're bysta- – the bystanders want to tell the team what to do. Mm-hmm. So, and I want to hear your reaction to this, but I said, you know what, if you don't like that, there is a recourse. You can become a team member and you can put your money where your mouth is from a team perspective. I don't know if that went off very well, but, but, but you can, I mean, if you, if someone has so much architecture, let's say I'm a product owner and I have so many insights into software architecture, maybe, maybe I should get my butt in the game. Yeah. It's like the Monday morning quarterbacks right everybody wakes up monday and says oh well my team should have done this yeah but there's a there's a million decisions that go into making that choice that's one of the reasons i really respect self-directed teams as a leader because i know how freaking hard it is Mm -hmm. to build soft you do too right like how hard it is there is no silver there are no perfect answers it's software development is a really i joke about it too much but it's a hard freaking game Mm -hmm. and and i do I mean it. I respect. If someone's in the game in a team, I tip the hat to the. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? right? Yeah. Those those folks. That's non-trivial stuff. They're dealing with that one PO. They might be. Then they're dealing with me. They're dealing with you. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with what themselves. They're dealing with Q. I mean, there's there's every decision, and and it is. These are serious decisions mm-hmm. that they're. And who's going to live with them? I mean, that PO would live with them, but the team. Right. Ultimately, he's going to live with that stuff. Yeah. Every decision they make, the good ones come back and they're like they smile, and the bad ones come back and haunt them. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, coaching. So, did we explore self direction enough? I think we need to talk about how you help foster that. We've kind of talked about the experiences we've had, but I'd like to give some support in okay, I'm trying to make this happen. What are some of the tools I can use? And I think it goes back to some of the things we've talked about is. 
transforming the way you speak, starting with a question. So if you have an idea, start asking questions about why, how's this going to work, all those things. Try try to transform the language that you use. I think that's an important that. point, yeah. But, language, body language, yeah. engagement. Be really self-aware uh, and be really self-aware of each other, right? So you're a three, you know, you're a three-tiered leader here, whatever you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have leaders to report. So it's not just a team. Be self-aware of you. Right. Be self-aware of folks who report to you, right? Just watch mm-hmm. watch the language around in the universe around you. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and And it goes without saying, but I feel like we should say it, is that you've got to trust the crap out of people. So... I was when you were talking in the last one I was I was teeing up in my head the next thing would be trust the team. Right. So part of the language I I literally when I'm in the game I don't do this as a coach so much. I mean not as much as when I'm in a, in an inside role. But when I'm in an inside role as a senior leader I can't tell you how many times a day I, I the words trust the team will come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And it'll be in reviews. It'll be in in refinement sessions. It'll be in planning sessions. I mean, it'll be after the debate, you know, where you're sort of – where people are beating it to death. Mm-hmm. Where we've had – there's the passionate debate, and then there's uh, we want to make a decision, but people don't like it, right? They're, not everyone's on board. And it's like, well, the team's on board. Okay, but we're not on, the, right. the the bubble around the team isn't on board. Well, tough, right? You we've had the feedback, so you had your chance at feedback. I've had my chance. The product owner had their chance at feedback. We've had passionate debate. We get the closure, but I'm really not on board. Mm-hmm. Well, tough, right? right. And right, and that's it, is that you have to trust in the darkest of times. Yes, when it feels scariest yeah. and yes. just like everything's yes. crashing trust, around you. You have you gotta to trust that, the team. Right? And and it's full trust. It's not trust but verify. It's not I'll trust you today, but I'll bang on your head in the daily stand up tomorrow. It it truly is trust trust the team. And I mean you and again when they deliver the goods, you can ask questions, you can talk about your, your concerns. Uh how did you handle that? I had raised a concern about performance testing. Mm-hmm. Uh it's fair game to ask a question around that. So that another question. Not a trick question, not one where, you know, so how did you handle that? I hope you used the three-pronged Bob Galen strategy to handle that, right? <laughs> that's So, Metacasters, that's not a healthy question. Yeah. So, so the questions, Josh, that I'm talking about are more open-ended. Absolutely. Right, honest, right, honest inquisitive, open-ended questions. Uh, but but trust, is, uh, trust is an inherent part of that. And teams... So that's self-direct. They'll feel it if it's – I don't even think it's – Yeah, you cannot fake it. You can't fake it. And the organization can't fake it. And and it's cumulative. So let's say you trust the team, but Richard is the scrum master doesn't. Mm-hmm. And to say I'm in the middle and that product owner I was talking about is sort of close to distrust as well. I, I think – so there's a good one, but then there's some other things. I think – that the universe around the team is what's influencing their view of trust, right? It's not just, oh, I'll take the most trustworthy person and that creates the landscape. It's probably the least trustworthy. The least trusting person has an influence on the team that they're interacting with. The thing that I always do to try and get people over that hump of not trusting is say, you hired smart people, right? Like, do you believe the people you've hired are smart? Yep. Do you believe they, they have the best intentions and they want to build a great product? The answer is usually yes and yes. 
So then at that point, why would you not trust these people? I, I do this all the time. It's like you either fire them or trust them, right? So you've hired good ones, right? If you have some bad ones, get rid of them. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be an ass. No, I agree. Right? But but if if you're not willing to fire them right. and, and, oh, we can't, no, 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 this is a good team. All right, so shut up and trust right. <laughs> trust your team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really it's really hard. But that's part of that. That self-organizing, it's it's the environment that they're in, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of the it's the space that they're in, is is a big part of how how much direction. Uh, I want to I want to bring up uh, a, I don't know how this will I I think it'll complement this discussion, but I want to bring up a scenario that I I, I experienced and see how you react to it. Yeah. Uh, so there was a guy at uh, there was a guy at eye contact. And uh, I worked with him for two and a half years, a mm-hmm. developer, senior developer, uh, on the border of team lead. So really bright, really capable guy. Uh, in our backlog refinement sessions, he, he would never tell the truth. Uh, he would never – he would always uh, estimate, for example. He would estimate uh, with values that he thought people wanted to hear. Uh, so uh, – and, and it became obvious. I mean, everyone was throwing 10s or 13s, and he would throw a 2. And and it would be like, okay, that's and, and it's two two. And I confronted him once as a as a leader in the organization, as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, just as a concerned citizen. And I'm like, what what's going on? I'm like, clearly. And he's like, well, they won't they they don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear uh, they want to hear the the lowest number. So I'm going to give them what they want to hear. Right. And I'm just like, you know, Bob, uh, I'm them. And right. and they want to hear the and, and in this particular case, they want to hear honest. I mean, what I'm paying you for is the honest truth. He never ever, um, for two and a half years, he he was seeing ogres lurking in the shadows, and there, there was, and I my heart went out to him. I think it was it was baggage, mm-hmm. right? So self directed team, so there can be baggage. How do we coach through that baggage? I failed in that case. He. He let that those uh, he let that baggage go. I think in his next job, I sort of indirectly found out. Mm-hmm. But but I I failed. I never got him to release the baggage. Um, how do you coach to that? Yeah, to me, I think you've got to try and identify the baggage and 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 talk about the baggage. That's something that we do a lot. Is that when when we talk and there's things that cause us to be fearful, we we often say, okay, why? Why are you fearful? What has caused you to get this point? And as we uncover it, it's usually something that happened one job, two job, three yeah. jobs ago that you're bringing with you that you, you, you've yet to find a place that's proven that it's not that way. So you're waiting for it to be proven. So until yeah. you're proven wrong, you're holding on to that's how it works. Like, yeah. There's this monster under my bed because I had a dream about it when I was a kid. Yep. And until I find out there's not a monster under my bed, I believe there's going to be one. I, th- I think it's surfacing and surfacing. I, 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 guess, I guess the sometimes people won't. Right. They won't release it. Or they won't release it, you know, in your tenure with them or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and it, it's not – but I tried incredibly – I mean, I literally was yeah. – if there was a monster under the bed, it was me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not – and I'm – now I'm turning – now I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning my act up. Please right. tell me. And it wasn't just estimates. It was design. So he was – he would please. It was always right. what, what, what do people want me to say rather than – what do they want to hear rather than what is the truth? Yeah, that's something that we, we, we talk about a lot. And as part of the values that we have, we, we, one of them that gets brought up a lot, which can get 
construed a little bit because around context is we say always make the right choice versus the easy choice and that and that's part of who we are in the culture that we've built is people will challenge each other and ask like okay are you taking the easy choice or is that the right choice yeah this was so yeah. so he would always go for easy choice right right and and it wasn't and it was never the right and i was as a leader I was looking for not perfect, mm-hmm. but I was looking. I mean, I was giving every team member space to do to do it right. Mm-hmm. I wanted right choices, um, but so so I think that's part of it as well. As part of self direction, is acknowledging baggage, is having those conversations, being patient. Mm-hmm. We didn't. He we never fight. He yeah. left of his own volition. Yeah, that's a huge part. We we were patient for. I mean, I I as a person was concerned. I mean, forget software, forget agile teams. You know, I was concerned about his psyche. Right. You know, what's it like to walk through a, a, an eight-hour day thinking that there's boogeymen under the bed everywhere, right? right. I, I'm being serious. It, it, I just felt sorry. I'm like, yeah. please don't look at – please don't don't find these horrible people or them. Don't right. – there are no them here. And that trust does take – right? These are not light switches that get flipped off and no, on. No, right? no, no. You have to put in the time and Absolutely. be patient and, and – and hang on to every little indicator that you're getting that it's getting better. One, th- one thing we didn't talk, we indirectly said it is give the team space. So space to think, space to meet. What do you think about that? So part space of so, to fail. Space to fail. Uh, space to make their own estimates. Mm-hmm. Uh, space to refactor. Uh, and I'm not talking about infinite space. I'm not talking about wasteful space. I'm not talking about the company goes down in flame space. But, mm-hmm. but teams need space. They 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 need retrospective space. They need they we don't. I don't think I, I don't think we've historically given the team sufficient space. So I think part of self direction is give them enough space for them to make decisions. Right? Mm-hmm. Give them enough space to to do whatever whatever it takes to to make good software. And uh, I think if you don't, you won't really get to that real trust where they feel really empowered to absolutely. do what they need to do and to make the right choice when it's not the easy one. Well, that's that's what comes. It's one of the dangerous things with the the planning game. And what I talked about is someone presumptuously telling you how long something's going to take. That's a terrible, right? That, that's a terrible game that we've gotten into. There's no trust in that. There's no empowerment in that. Uh, it's oppressive. Uh, there's no space in that, mm-hmm. right? Because we typically minimize, you know, we we minimize things. Mm-hmm. We always have this like this, this sunny day view, and the team understands what it what it takes to really build software. Uh, that's another maybe if there's a trust check. That to me, a trust check would be around estimation. Um, in that class, I brought up this this example of uh, in in one refinement session. Uh, someone, uh, one of the senior developers, and he shouldn't have done this. He wasn't on the team, but he was in the session. He said, as part of a story, he said, oh, I, it would take five points to hack that. It would take ten points to do it properly. And it, and it, has, and it needs refactoring, too, by the way. So it would take 20 points to refactor it. Um, and I, I asked everyone in the room in the product owner class, what's the right answer? Mm-hmm. And from my point of view, and I know can can – and I was there. This was in my organization. The right, I wanted it right, and the right answer in this case turned out to be twenty. Mm-hmm. And that was. And I just wanted people. I, I didn't want options. Right. I didn't want hack versus this. And I know there's situations, but our philosophy was to your point. We're going to do it right, mm-hmm. and and that's. But you have to give folks the space for that, right? They have to have an inherent. And that's a lot of space. If you think at yeah. five, ten, twenty. 
right, on a per-story basis. And, again, I'm not trying to waste time, but that's the kind of space I'm talking but it, about. It's, it's, it's wasting that time. Saving the waste up front builds a tremendous amount of waste. We've all learned about technical debt and everything yeah. goes into You are choosing to add technical debt. Yep. And without fully understanding what that is, then you're going to get yourself in a whole giant mess. Yep. So that, we, so, yeah. And even the deferral discipline, and, and that that's silly. It's not so silly. It drives some nice discussions in classes. I use it a lot. But it, it, it even sort of surfaces things like when's the quickest time to do it right is, well, there. What if we throw – what if we do 10 points and then we throw the refactor on the backlog? Well, will we even have the courage – or the right, wherewithal to, to, to actually yeah. do it again. And right. is it and is it really 10 points later on? Probably, in my experience, it's not. It, it might be like 15 points worth of work because it was 10 points when we did it together. Mm-hmm. If we have to resurrect it, it's in my, it's usually larger. And, and again, so deferring isn't always, let's, let's look at it eyes wide open and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we beat this to death a, a little? I don't think we beat it to death, but well, did we, we come? we didn't kill it. Do, do we cover the the topic yeah. sufficiently? You're so. always you're always the keep Bob honest voice in the Metacast, mm-hmm. like for coverage. Bring us back to Senate. Mission Impossible. So I know, but you you try. I do try. <laughs> you try. I, I do what I can. No, I think we did a good job. You you feel yeah. good about it? Cool. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. So, from beautiful, well, how do we close this sucker? From beautiful downtown Burbank, California. Oh, nice. No, remember that? I, I what do. was it? Laughing. I do remember laughing. You remember laughing? Remember Goldie Hawn. It was on like Nick at Night. It was. It, I didn't see it first when I saw the reruns. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina. And you, and you know how to. So we want your feedback. <laughs> we love you, man. If you found us, find us again. All of that stuff that Josh usually covers at the end of the Metacast. Uh, so I'm, I'm cutting to the chase quickly. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.